Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Stop Hammer Time and it's another victorious Stop Hammer Time as we discussed last night's games wherein the Hams defeated West Yorkshire Hairdressing Academy and uh, (laughs) here to talk about the game are uh, as always Jim Grant. Good evening. Hello Jim. Hi. Yes very good thank you. Good good. Also joining us one of England's finest legal brains. It's almost stupid not to commit a crime when one of your friends is Simon Pentel, QC. Good evening. Lovely to be back um, and lovely to see you both looking so well and full of the joys of West Ham having their best season since I can remember when. Yes, yes, it is a good season. And um, uh, I sort of love something we could talk about later, actually, is what a good season feels like. You know what I mean? Because we did talk a little bit about this. I don't know whether it was on the podcast or just sort of socially, Jim, when 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 I said that those sort of early 90s Harry seasons before we bought Hartson and Kitson, even though quite often, you know, we didn't have a very good finish in the table in those seasons, I sort of enjoyed those. I enjoyed the football. You know, there were players you enjoyed watching. And especially in those sort of the yo-yo years from 89 to 93, we were not as apprised of how important it is to be in the Premiership rather than just in the top flight of football. So you sort of... I half didn't mind those seasons where we went down. It just meant we won more games. And, you know, that sort of the last season we spent down before we came up where we had Clive Allen on loan. And so it was a good, it was a really good season. There were loads of good games in that season. I really enjoyed it, you know. There are different types of good season, aren't there? Um, You know, we had some good seasons under Redknapp when we had some superb players playing for us. And you knew you were going to get entertaining football you know, more often than not. But we got turned over regularly in, in humiliating style, even even when we had those quality players in the team. Well, the difference with this good season is, and I'm still struggling to kind of come to terms with it, is, you know, we go 2-0 up in a game like last night. And, and even when we're not absolutely on top of the game and the opposition are playing quite well, 
you don't feel as though we're going to lose it. Um, you know, I, I felt when that once we once the penalty, you know, or the rebound of the penalty went in, I thought, yeah, we're going to win this now. Um, and that is a very weird feeling because yes. I've never really had a good season. I can't remember a good season when it was it was so predictable in a sense, or we were so consistent in that way. I mean, two seasons where I remember thinking when the opposition scored a goal, I genuinely thought, unless it was, you know, United or Liverpool or Chelsea or Arsenal in their sort of pomp, um, thinking that's okay, we'll score one. Were The two seasons that were like that, I thought, were the Pardew Premiership yeah. season and the Pie season, the Billich Pie yeah. season. I remember I th- Crystal Palace scoring against us in that Pie season and mm. thinking, oh, the audacity. <laughs> <laughs> We're well, going to punish them by scoring a goal. And we did. You were picking up on very different times. Yeah. And it's lovely to look back. And, and I agree with both of you because the style or the brand of football that we played, particularly in the Pyatt season, and it was a one-off season, in a number of the Harry seasons, because the football was just fantastic fun, you know, to have on the pitch in part of those years, you know, E.L. Berkowitz and, and Paolo Di Canio on the same field yeah. was just bloody fantastic. And thereafter, Di Canio and Cole and Trevor Sinclair, and it was a joy to behold. But as you rightly say, Jim, we got rolled over quite a bit as well. Frequently, but it was a different yeah. brand of football. Yeah. What's, what's changed now is, of course, that those quite enjoyable years when we we were relegated, um, that landscape has gone and forgotten forever. Um, a club of our size and stature and tradition cannot ever again, in my opinion, afford to be relegated, number one. And number two, the pressure for success is greater than it's ever been, particularly as a result of the, of, of the COVID problems and the desire for money. And looking ahead, the likelihood that the top six, as they are euphemistically, in my opinion, called, but I, you, everyone knows what I mean by that, yeah. are, gonna f- are going to enjoy such a stranglehold over the control of European football by the new mechanism that's coming into the Champions League, that unless we actually make a break for it and um, look to get results rather than really fabulous, fun performances. The classic, oh, we we walk out of the ground, but we've lost 4-3. But it was a great game, so who cares? Mm. I'm afraid, I think, in modern football, those, those days are over. It's a very different landscape. And the very future and fabric of this club depends, for the first time, I really believe, on success on field. And the way this team is playing is not to grind out results, but as you say, Jim, win games, not necessarily ugly, but score two, just play out 45 minutes. The sort of thing that historically fans like us would criticise other teams for having done. Yes. That's what we are now doing. And as they always say, the table doesn't lie. And whatever position we are currently in with 11 games to go, Um, whether we finish fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh or eighth, if anyone would have said before the season started, with 11 games to go, we'd be a couple of points clear of Liverpool, ahead of Arsenal, ahead of Chelsea, you would have thought that person should be certified. Can I just say five points clear of Liverpool with a game in hand? Yeah, so that's how bonkers it's got. But 
we're playing a different brand of football. And unfortunately now, in, in romantic terms, I think winning is really what matters. And <clears throat> it doesn't matter how you do it anymore. You've got to do it. And a club of this size finally has to pull up its socks and get in there with the big boys. Because as a club, we can compete. I've never doubted that. And I've always been one of those that thought, that we've never, ever come close to fulfilling our potential as an entity, as a brand, as a club, and what we represent. And maybe now um, someone has got their head around the right way and is looking at it differently. And we're set up to win games and not lose games. And following that old adage, if you can't win, make sure you don't lose. Yeah, I yeah. think we're very much of that ilk. Without being overly defensive, we're playing 2021 football counter-attack, suck people in, close the space, hit them fast, score a goal, score another. Thank you very much. We'll play out the last 45 minutes, 30 minutes or whatever. What has changed, though, I think this season, um, for as long as I can ever remember, and you pick up, Phil, about the Piat season. You know, if we went a goal down, and I remember that game, I know the game you're talking about, that, that the two-all draw against, is it the two-all draw at Palace at home? Um, when we went one down and, of course, um, Pyatt scored that extraordinary free kick to get us back yeah, to one all. it might have been that one. It was reliance on one player or a couple of players to do something extraordinary um, to make us not feel that we would necessarily lose. Even last night, and we were shocking for the first 10 or 15 minutes, I, I sat here thinking, what, what team has turned up in the Claret Blue shirts? And even when Leeds scored that goal that was finally ruled or eventually ruled out for offside the narrowest of margins i sat here thinking okay they've scored yeah what we've got 80 minutes to go no big deal and i can't remember thinking like that watching our team for as long as i've been alive i don't think no i think i think every game this season uh we we give the other team something to think about for 90 minutes you know it's 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 not a question of sort of you know just bus parking uh, because you know that way lies madness. They, you know, if if the other team <coughs> have a, uh, a kind of chatty goal, all of your bus parking is now out of the window. You've you've got to do something when you hit them on the break. You've got to do something with your possession, yeah. and that is what we've we've sort of been doing uh, this season. You know, it's it's interesting. We've said it before on the podcast. Is 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 it's not. It's still entertaining. That sort of you oh, yeah. know low possession football that we're playing is feels very sort of you know counterintuitive to me. But I can't deny that um, it always feels we're in the game. It always feels we're giving the other team something to think about. It's not um, this sort of doer anti football setting out to just cancel out the other side it feels like both teams are participating in a game of football uh and we're doing it in one particular way you know oh i absolutely agree we're not playing park the bus football but equally and and i've always thought that that those commentators who have in their minds the idea that the quote academy of football or the west ham way was tiki tacker it's never been like that and my my most favorite memories are, and it's, there's a parallel actually with the current team of you know Bonzo with his socks down by his ankles and his Viking style hair behind him running 40 yards through the middle of the pitch making space and and you know sliding in Trevor Brooking or some bit of magic comes at the end of it um, in the same way that not quite to the same extent but in a very similar way Declan Rice carrying the ball 
through the middle of the field, a la Bonzo, but without the extreme violence, mm. um, looking to do something at the end of it. Um, Antonio making a run on one side, Lingard making a run on the other side, and actually carving teams up like that. And that's much more the West Ham way. We were never um, a massive possession team playing pass after pass after pass after pass. So no. you go away if you were at the ground, pop downstairs for a wee, buy a beer and a pie, come back, and you're, you're still no further forward than you were 15 minutes earlier. Yeah. We've never really played that way. And I think it's a great balance. And I have to say, as one of David Moyes' critics, um, you've got to take your hat off to what he's achieved this season. However, one swallow, as they say, yeah. and... It's all about now and going forward um, to the decisions that are pivotal, I think, for the future of the club in the next five years. I, I, I mean, obviously, I <clears throat> yeah, absolutely agree about the, the one swallow thing. And, it, you know, it might be that he, that he in this season, he over-delivers kind of, kind of early, earlier than he might have, might have planned. But you do get a sense, both in the way that the backroom team has been put together, the comments that come out of players... Um, and what you see on the pitch in terms of organisation and resilience and and uh, and so on, there is a sense in which he's sorting things out in a very impressive way that you feel isn't a kind of just it's not freakish, you know, it's not yeah. freaky. No, no. I mean, um, when we had, um, Collins when we had James Collins on the podcast after uh, you know that's when Pellegrini was our manager, but he was talking about. Um, you know, all of the managers he played under. And he specifically said about the Moyes uh, half a season, the training was really good. And uh, it was, you know, the training was was good. It was felt good to be part of that training. And that's what Rice said in his post-match interview. Yes, they said, the training's great. We look, everyone looks forward to coming to work. You know, and you sort of mm. think, yeah, that's, that's really good. If that's yeah. like that, you know, a lot of people's jobs are, they're just jobs. Mm. They're just going, I look forward to coming in every day to work because I'm going to work with these guys that are great. We all get on really well. And, um, you know, uh, it's a really positive yeah. thing. Having said all of what we've said, I, I still think, so, you know, it's nice to to think of kind of sort of things having a narrative and and to think of, you know, to look at, at uh, a season, look at moments, turning points and so on. And I wonder whether you, I keep looking back to 81 minutes to go, 3-0 down at Tottenham yeah. as a pivotal moment in the season because, and particularly obviously Danzini's goal, um, which was freakish in a, in a funny sort of way. You know, it was one of those things where it could only go in that tiny little, it was like one of those fairground <laughs> yeah. things where there were holes to score 50 points. You know, it could only go in that little corner. Um, and uh, three nil down, we were, you know, we were we sort of played reasonably well for the for the for the rest of the game, having gone three nil down. But we, so you sort of, in my head was the oh yeah, it's we, you know, this is for all the changes that Moises made, this is still the West Ham that I I, I know uh, and I'm familiar with. Uh, and you know, hey, it's just going to be a we'll do we, we won't go down this season, but it'll be good. And then when that Lanzini goal went in, and you were off your sofa. Mm. Um, and Moyes was doing his his David Pleat like jig. Um, I think, and the reaction, the team response to it. I, you know, you must have believed you've done that in a game against that kind of opposition. Come back from three 0 down in in ten minutes. Uh, 
it must give you belief. It must give you a sense of of kind of you know invincibility of, of kind of we can we can do anything. Um, and I wonder whether we will look back at that as a kind of turning point. I, I, I think it. I think it was a very important moment, but in a in a, in a not dissimilar way. But I, for me, the two performances that have changed the whole balance of the season were the two games um, that were three and four match days, yeah. three and four. But having lost at home appallingly to Newcastle, yeah. and probably quite unluckily to the Arse, um, the the prospect that we would have then turned over Wolves 4-0 and Leicester 3-0 were yeah. pretty unthinkable. Yeah. And to come out of those two games with a seven-zip aggregate, one home, one away, for what difference it makes anymore, but have played them both off the park. And those were both teams over the last couple of years who have beaten us home and away regularly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought, made, made me sit up and think, whoa, hold on. You know, the Wolves game wasn't just a fluke. Because we've done it again at Leicester, yeah, and and I think that shaped the genuine sense of of belief and confidence that underpinned or presaged um, the last eight minutes at White Shite Lane. Yeah, absolutely, the, and the yeah. greatest turnaround in Premier League history. Yeah, those first two defeats are now uh, twenty twenty seven games into the season, two of our only seven defeats this season mm. you know played 27 we've only lost seven times you know and and when people talk about uh, you know arsenal's invincibles it's not that they won every game it's they went undefeated for an yep. entire season and you know the fact that um we're not losing so many games you know it's like played 27 we've only lost seven so we've not lost 20 games and uh, have won 14 of them well it changes your whole perspective doesn't it 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 changes um, the lens through which you view everything. So, for example, I was genuinely disappointed at, I was going to call it Main Road, forgive me, um, at the Etihad week before last, when Diop, I think, should have stuck that header in the last second yeah, in the bottom yeah. corner. And I was genuinely disappointed that we didn't get a point yeah, at yeah. Man City. But I was only genuinely disappointed in normal seasons to only have lost 2-1 there for us would have yeah. actually been a result. Um, yeah. This time round, through the lens of the success we've had, I was bitterly disappointed that we didn't get that point. Yeah. And yeah. I felt almost cheated by it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, it, and that it alters your perception. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. So that had we not won last night, it would have been... It would have been shocking in, in, a, in a funny sort of way. It had been a real disappointment. Yeah. So I know we'll talk about it later, but when we go to Old Trafford next, um, there's a sense that, okay, we'll give them a game. Yeah. We'll be competitive. We may not win, but we know we're going to be competitive and we're not going to crumble. No, absolutely. Whatever they throw at us. And I think that, that changes everything. So yeah. you now go into games with that sort of belief that we will get a result. We will give them a game. Hopefully we'll win. And if we if we don't, we'll probably avoid defeat. And it, it just rolls into the next game and into the next game. And yeah. I think it was all exemplified in Declan Rice's fabulous post-match interview last night, where it looked like a little schoolboy. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he was so laughing and joking his way through it. And it was all a big, it was all a big hoot, really, for him. Yeah. And I think that exemplifies what is actually going on at the club at the moment. 
player wise and it's absolutely fantastic yeah yeah, yeah the spirit is great definitely responsible for that he's bought those players in he's bought Suchek and uh Sufal, who are just clearly big personalities mm. into the team you know and uh those personalities have found uh sort of echo chambers in Antonio and Rice Yep. So you've now got like a collection of quite big personalities at the club, but all without ego, you know, because they're all, you know, they're all young. They're all, except Antonio, but Antonio came from non-league football and has worked his way up uh, well, in the way that Ian Wright and Frank McAvenny did. Yeah, I think I think a big part of that, funnily enough, if you want to get really um, philosophical about it, and I don't want to sound too smart-alecky, but... There's a common denominator in all four of those players. And it is the distinction between them on the one hand and buying, and I hate the term, big name players for West Ham. These For those four, playing at the London Stadium, be it empty or full, playing for West Ham in the Premier League is a step up. Yeah, It ain't a step down. Mikel Antonio, who I love and adore, um, he plays football in the same way that Jamie Vardy played fo- plays football, like Ian Wright played football because he came to the game late. So for him, it's all last chance saloon and he plays every game like his life depends on it. It might be his last game. He didn't come spoiled through an academy and, you know, had um, whatever it is, you know, a Porsche Taycan at the age of 17 and what have you. It was a struggle for him. So it affects his mindset. And his attitude. And Salchek and Kufal, you know, in truth, um, and I don't want to be nasty about it, 18 months ago, this was a pipe dream for those two. Yeah. Uh, you know, being blunt, it was a bloody pipe dream. Now look at them. They're hugely well paid. They're playing for a team in the top six of the English Premier League. They get lauded week after week. Salchek has become a personality with all his potato salad and all that nonsense. He appears in the stats every week on Sky Sports with the, the towering number of goals he scored from set pieces or otherwise. He had a feature on him last night from Jamie Carragher. If you roll it back 12 months, I don't suppose Thomas Salchek could have dreamt that was going to be happening to him. No, no. His mate comes along to keep him company and is now fast becoming the most effective right back in the Premier League. You know, you take, I know he's older, but Juan Bissaka... Who for whom Man United spent what sixty million quid? Yeah, some. Very well, is a bloody good player, but I, honestly, if my life depended on it, I'd, I'd go with a guy from the Czech Republic. Thanks yeah. very much, because you know full well if he doesn't win the ball, he's going to beat the man and yeah. he'll clean him out. And sometimes yeah. that's what you got to do. And if you think of how he performed against Grealish and how he performed against Bale, he's when he's been up against real top quality, fast. Um, able, skillful players on his side, on their left, our right, very few have actually mugged him off at any time. I mean, it's quite extraordinary. No, it's the performance against Grealish was was outstanding. It's up there for performance of the season mm. uh, from an individual. I, I just thought, um, you know, so much. I mean, you know, Grealish is difficult because if he if he doesn't beat, he's skillful anyway. And if yeah. he doesn't beat you, then he'll he'll. Uh, Connor Fowl out, out mm. of you, you know, and um, he was just, you know, um, Sifal was was not only technically defensively up to it, but he was also streetwise, very and sharp and savvy as well. 
and he wasn't taking any of his bollocks. And, yeah. um, you know, I think he, uh, I think it was in the home game he gave him a clattering as well, wasn't it? And, <laughs> he uh, did indeed. Had a shout at him while he was on the ground. Yeah. And I think that kind of was a big, that was a marker. I mean, you know, the, uh, Grealish would have remembered that, I think. You know, he's up against a hard man. Um, and, and he yeah, can lovely, play. Lovely. And he can oh, play. I mean, play, he, his crosses need to leave a bit to be desired. And of course, what game was it a few weeks ago when he was clean through and, and sort of like yeah. had this moment of panic as in, what the fuck am I going to do now? Do I roll it to his left, roll it to his yeah. right or chip him? And by the time he made his mind up, he made a complete dog's dinner out of it. But, you know, notwithstanding all of that. So those three, you know, Antonio, um, Sufal and Suchek, you know, for them, it's a massive step up. And I think that Declan Rice you know, has really grasped the fact that the, the rejection he must have felt coming out of Stamford Bridge. Um, and for him, it must have been at the time a step down to come to West Ham, you know, when he when he left the Chelsea Academy or he was rejected by the Chelsea Academy. He comes here, he gets on with it, um, and he now has reached a pinnacle for me whereby he is probably as indispensable um, as he is ubiquitous. Yeah. And I, I, you know, whatever happens, he has to become the cornerstone of this, this side um, for the next 10 years. And if he does, and all things remain equal, then we will enjoy unparalleled success. Because in a world where football is governed by money, you have to ask yourself the serious question. If someone came in and bid 100 million, 120, 140, be stupid about it, what it, how are you going to replace him? With whom? With whom? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, Arsenal paid how much for Thomas Party? 40 odd million? Yeah. Come off it. He's yeah. not fit to let lace Declan's boots. And I think Party's a bloody good player. Um, you know, his game is just getting better and better. He's missed not one minute this season in the Premier League. He missed not one minute last season in the Premier League. This is getting bonkers, quite frankly. Um, he's the block he made the other week was just bloody mind blowing. Yeah. Um, how he got back for that. Oh, well, his last um, pitch one, yeah. Yeah. And but his reading of the game is improved. His yeah. his ability on the ball is improved. His surging through the midfield is now something to behold. He's got power, he's got composure, he seldom gives the ball away, and he's always available. Every time a player looks up. The number 41 is either yeah. immediately to his right, immediately ahead of him, or immediately behind him. It's like, I'll take it and, and move it on. Yeah. And as I say, his, his, his game now is total ubiquity. And I think he's really becoming indispensable. Yeah, and Moyes' um, you know, sort of building of a, a sort of a new midfield uh, has a great deal to do with that. I think in his first time at the club, there just weren't the players available to do that. And no. uh, so he just had to work on defence and attack <laughs> and just leave um, Slavon Bilic's porous midfield to just do the best it could. Uh, Pellegrini didn't solve that problem either. But now, I you know, I really noticed in last night's game, especially because we weren't quite at the races for a lot of it and we're sort of misfiring a bit. So it felt like... You were watching it in slightly slower motion, but I, I did see how well our midfield works. You know, when 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 one of Rice or Suchek um, 
wins the ball back, whether or not they've lost it themselves or someone else has lost it. What's great is that for nows or even the sort of wide players, someone will come back to make themselves available. For once someone has won the, the ball back, there's a pass on. You know, they mm. make themselves away. They work it out of the midfield like just a proper midfield should. And it's such a long time since we've had a functional midfield. Yeah. You know, I think like- um, we haven't mentioned him tonight, but you've got to, you, it's easy to underestimate Fulnau's role yeah. in all this. I, I think he's uh, he's been a fantastic acquisition. The energy and the, and the engine on him. Uh, and... He's a good technical footballer as well. I mean, the technique for the volley last night that hit the bar was terrific. Um, but he he's he's very similar. He's always on for the pass. He gets stuck in. Um, I think in terms of the tempo at which we play, he's he's important. I think. I, look, I, I agree. He's had a very good season, and he is um, brings a huge energy and commitment to it. But for me, he's one of those um, in a perfect world. Um, I'd, ra- I'd like to look to re- to upgrade with someone who just has that little bit more ability. And I'm not being wicked about it, and I'm not being too pedantic or picky about it either. Um, and I make, it, I make the point in this way, and I know they're slightly different footballers, but look at that. It's that X, that X factor that Jesse Lingard's got. Um, whereas if you imagine before the window closed, it would be Fornells and Bowen. Um, Lingard is just that, he is that step ahead, I think, of, yeah. of both of them. I would and agree about, about that. Uh, but for me, it's Bowen rather than Fornells is the one that we would look to upgrade personally. Well, look, we can argue about it. I think that Ben Rama, for example, um, had, a, had a good game last night in patches. But what Moyes has plainly done with Ben Rama is to say, Listen, mate, this ain't Brentford and this ain't the championship. Um, when you lose possession or you're not in possession, I don't care how many tricks you can do, you're going to have to work and you're going to have to close people down. And it's no different in its mentality than the, the, the great Barcelona team. When everyone talks about Messi, but, you know, Iniesta and Xavi, look at the work that they did. Yeah. They weren't just pretty passers, these boys. They closed and... They worked and they ran off the ball and they ran on the ball. And that's what is is a part of it. I mean, Lingard is actually putting in a shift. He's not just come along with a big reputation, you know, and thinking he is the Mancunian Messi. Um, He's actually putting in a shift. And fair play to Moisey because he's got that out of him. Yeah, absolutely. And fits into the team spirit as well. I mean, it's the whole package, isn't it? He he has... uh, definitely elevated aspects of the attacking play. He's great in the counter-attacking side, carries the ball well, you know, won the penalty uh, doing that last night. Um, but uh, but also, you know, he's enjoying, he's playing with a smile on his face as well. He's enjoying the football and uh, and clearly is popular uh, with the other players. So and it goes back to what... Counter, the, sort of, the sort of Billy Big Bollocks reputation that yeah. he had. And it goes back to what I was saying at the outset when I was talking about... Um, Mikel Antonio and Declan Rice and Sarchek and Sufal, he falls into the same category. He's got something to prove at West Ham. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that it's not that you you have to straightjacket any future acquisitions of they've got to be British or they've got to be under 22 or under 23 and they've got to have, you know, be 
be be six foot one or five foot nine or whatever. None of that nonsense. But we got to have players who have something to prove. And if you look across the eleven last night, um, even including Fabianski, every single one of them has something to prove week on week. And that, Dawson, I think, Dawson, is a big Dawson part. Dawson is the epitome of that, isn't he? Precisely Dawson my is, point. Absolutely. Everyone written him off. Yep. Um, and he's coming. He looks an awesome. <laughs> old, I mean, old, just old think, school, you know, old school, isn't it? It's uh, it's not uh, elegant. but No, it know, doesn't have to be. But it, it's very effective. Look, just think about it. This time last year, he couldn't get in, in the Watford team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right? I mean, what a joke it is. Now he's the cornerstone of a of a major one of the, the big eight biggest eight clubs in the in England who happen to be in in the top six at the moment of the Premier League and is the cornerstone of the defense. Yeah, yeah. No, it's fantastic. And I mean, you know, he's um he's this, you know, this iteration's Collins, isn't he? Because you would yeah. have Collins and uh Tompkins. Or yeah. you know, you'd have Collins and Ogbonna. You know, you'd have one you know, a player that had slightly more ch- Stops and one that just had great positional sense. Yes. You know, it was a great stopper. You know, the, the absolutely, you know, the defender, the defender part of central defender. You know, um, let's just uh, take a little break now, and we'll be back after this message. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Welcome back. Um, yes, so, you know, a very satisfying win last night. You know, again, um, you know, Moyes is, you could cut and paste uh, the sentence, uh, well, I wasn't happy with it, but into most more post-match interviews. And, uh, you know, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem entirely disingenuous because no. I think sort of his sort of Spartan, uh, you know, religious pursuit of honesty were, would not make that part of his makeup. Yeah. Uh, I think genuinely means it when he says I think we can play better but don't get me wrong I thought we were great and were good for the win I well I thought you know I thought over overall um you know in terms of periods of play where they had more of the ball and more of the attacking play yes that you know they had a larger part of the game but from the moment we uh we got the penalty um and the the attack that led to the penalty till half time we utterly dominated the game and when the second goal went in i thought they were they were close to falling apart Leeds. we yes. had post again we had uh, quite a few shots um you know it, they couldn't have complained if it were three now at half time to be no. honest at that point um and then as simon said earlier you know it was just a it was harem scarum it's always going to be they're they're a unique opposition in mm. the league at the moment yeah. um they play uh, a kind of cavalier 
style of football that um, that neutrals love to watch, and um, is not easy to 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 um, stop. Um, but you know, we still had our, our our moments in the second half. Even you know it wasn't very good breakaway. You know, yeah, a couple of good breakaways yeah. that we we didn't the final ball as so often yeah, the case was, was not quite right. Um, I felt, you know, again, <clears throat> being super picky, I felt that the wrong substitution was made. I thought, um, I thought Bunrama was really warming to his task in the second half and uh, Lingard was tiring. And I thought Bowen for Lingard would probably have been the right substitution. Um, but I agree with someone before we, 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 um, we, we started the podcast, someone was picking out Antonio, um, as an unsung hero of the game, and I thought, you know, he just gave them so much, so much head, uh, in the way of uh, stuff to do defensively. He's all over the place. He's strong and physical and holds it up and lays it off. Was running channels, you know. He really, really uh, put in one of those sort of um, thankless shifts. I thought, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it was really good. I mean, look, he's not Harry Kane, and he's not. Um, what's his name, Son, or or any of that. Um, but in his own way, he's actually fucking unplayable. Yeah. Um, because he offers something that that neither of those two have. They they may be more technically proficient, and of course Kane's a master goal scorer, however much it, it sickens me to say it. But, you know, he's got the numbers to prove it. Yeah. But Mikel Antonio gives you something that there are very few forwards in the English Premier League that give you that, that explosion of pace and strength. And what it, what game you'll both remember, I can't, getting too old, um, a few weeks ago, when he was, he went on a run and he ragdolled a few players on his way. I mean, yeah, it was just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like watching a dad play with his kids. He it basically against, picked them up and threw them out the way. It was against West Brom. Yeah, it was just fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, so he it's how do you stop that? I mean, unless someone's going to take out a, a you know a, a, an automatic rifle, you ain't going to stop that guy. I mean, the pundits early in the season, I think there was a sort of you know match of the day or match of the day two where I think Shearer and Micah Richards both said, you know, central central defensive pairings all across the Premier League are going to be looking at match of the day tonight and just going, oh fuck. <laughs> yeah, this guy is going to turn up and just run at them, you know. Yeah. Um, well, even if he even if he doesn't, do you notice last night? I was um, from the corner in which we scored. I, I know it's now quite fashionable, and other teams doing it, which is is have someone stand on the goalkeeper effectively. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's okay. But then when you're the keeper and you see it's Mikel fucking Antonio stood up yeah, against yeah. you, um, you ain't going to move him. No. I mean, he just plants his feet, and and I love this idea that he rolls up. And I don't know, I don't know if there's a reason for it other than yeah. he just wants to show off and and everyone to see those complete thunder thighs of his. But he rolls up one leg of his shorts, and so the the leg on that side looks yeah. absolutely huge. You know, cycles to and from the game. <laughs> <laughs> Roll one trouser leg up. You know, I thought maybe he was a mason. Yeah, he should have like he should have um rather than roll it up, he should have a garter, <laughs> like a garter belt. Like that. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure that um someone at, at board level could manage to get out a garter for him. <laughs> oh, there's that very funny. I think I think it just came back on Facebook because he did it a couple of years ago. But there's a sort of there's a very funny 
I don't know what it's an ad for. I think it might be an ad for like um, sports shoot like Nike or Adidas or something where he seems to be meeting a glamorous lady in a, a hotel room for shenanigans. But in fact, they strip off and do goal celebrations together. <laughs> very funny. Yeah, I remember that. Really yeah, funny in here. It's almost up there with Decanio coming out of the bubble bath, is it? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Well, um, Decanio yeah. was someone who, you know, obviously doesn't, uh, you know, they're completely different physiques. But the great thing about Paolo was that he understood the value of just running at a defender and mm. seeing if you come up with the ball. And if there was a bit of kind of pinball between their shins and the defender you know, managed to win the ball, quite often nothing else was on. So Paolo was like, oh, okay, I've lost the one. It's a fine. <laughs> it's a fine. It's a, I'm just a trying something. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> That's the thing I'm a trying. So it's okay. Uh, but sometimes it would bounce off his shin. Yeah. He'd win the foot race. And he knew when, if nothing else was on, fuck it, I'm going to run at this guy and see if something um, happens. Yeah. That run he went on against Arsenal in that game where he beat Arsenal single-handed. Yeah. Um, that's a brilliant example of that, isn't it? Because he does that about three times in the space of that of that yeah. run. <laughs> like he plays the percentages. He just goes, oh, well, I'm at a win, I'm at a nod. Let's just see, shall we? Didn't, didn't he went, go on a similar... He, in a game we lost, I think, actually, a, a fantastically entertaining game. And that's the sort of game I'm talking about back in the Harry era. We lost, I think, at home to Man United 4-2. Yeah. Um, and Decanio scored, of course, both our goals because he loves scoring against the big boys. Yeah. And he went on one of those runs where he must have beaten about six of them and it didn't actually come to anything. But no. I just remember sitting there thinking, holy smoke. You know, he's just mugged off, you know, yeah. Keane and Skulls and, and you know, Rio and, and Vidic as as if they were just nothings. But he his special talent was to that ability to raise his game the greater and the better the opposition. He thrived on that. And that goal he scored against Arsenal, the the one where he flips it over Keon's yeah. head yeah, and then yeah. volleys it. Side foot top bins, yeah. yeah. Um, the, game he, where we, he, the game where we went two down against Manchester United and basically just one West Ham player went, I'm not going to take this. That's right. <laughs> But he's he pulls two back on his own. Yeah, and then, that's the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, that goal, that goal that. against Arsenal. Yeah, that goal against Arsenal, the one where he follows it in the top bins. Yeah. Um, his exclamation at the end of that game, because Adams came into the picture as well, um, was you know the England centre backs, you know, over the head of one, round the other, the England goalkeeper, best in the world, picked that out, yeah. and that was his. That was what drove him to um, actually not just better himself, not just better, but demolish or humiliate players who are considered the best ever. And in a similar vein, I know because he thinks it's the greatest goal he ever scored. When he was in Italy, he scored against um, Milan who, at a time where they hadn't conceded a goal for about seven matches or something bloody stupid. Um, and he scored what would otherwise be a worldie. He beat about three players. Where was he then? He was the keeper. He no. was at, I think he was at Juve or Napoli. Yeah. Um, but except that, the players that he beat were Costa Curta, Baresi and Maldini. Yeah. And the, the, the Milan keeper hadn't conceded for seven matches. And it was, you know, this is what I do. 
yeah. against this level of opposition. And I'm I'm extrapolating that to where to the current situation. And I think the mentality and the philosophy of our club needs now to be. We have had so many great results against everyone from the very bottom of the league up to the top six. Now we've actually got to start beating these boys and we need the mentality and the belief that we can do to them what we've done to everyone else. It's all very well doing the double over Sheffield United and the double over Leeds and no disrespect to them, but, you know, Chelsea, Arsenal, United, Liverpool, Everton, I know we won at, at Goodison, and City, that's where you separate the men from the boys. Yeah. And if you're really yeah. going to crack it, you've got to beat the best. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I think um, in that respect, if you if you your mind flicks back to the the, the home game against Liverpool, mm. that that was a, an example, I think, of us being sort of slightly not 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 playing the reputation of the opposition rather than rather than the opposition in some ways. And mm. I felt we were tame in that game um, and, and a disappointment um, to a lesser extent, Chelsea away. We were a little bit, we, we were, we were more in that game that slightly flattered than that three now. Yeah. We had a very good. Um, game, we? Yeah. We had some, we had a good time. Yes, um, you know, uh, the home game there's... against Man United, you know, um, mm. we, we battered them for an hour. I mean, did... and it was only an appalling piece of officiating um, that, that got them back in the game. And then, yeah, but, yeah, I, I agree, and it did. But what that game actually really probably disappointed me most of any game this season, because one, I'm sure, like you, both of you, and so many others, when we went in one nil at half time, when we all know it should have been at least three, if not four. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you, Seb Allah. Um, <clears throat> don't want to dig you out, but you know, facts is facts, as somebody once said. Um, when that crazy equaliser went in. It was almost as they they felt cheated by it and yeah. so deflated by it. Um, when they, what they should have done was to look at each other, and think, right, we've 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 beaten them once this evening. Okay, they've scored a goal that should never have been allowed in a million years because the ball was plainly out of play. All right, we're still one all. Let's go out and win it now. Yeah, but yeah. they didn't, and I no. think that was. That was disappointing, um, psychologically very disappointing in that game for that yes. reason. Uh, and, and we need to toughen up in that. Yes, but, we should, this sort of will possibly belong more towards the end of the podcast as we sort of uh, predict the Manchester United score. But since we're on it now, we do. There are these sort of, um, you know, I, I see Liverpool, Arsenal. And Manchester United as sort of slight bogey teams for us at the moment. I feel like I'm sort of, you know, more confident about Chelsea. You know, we had the we had David Martin's finest hour. We had a yep. win there. We beat them with Yarmo's goal at the end. Even though we sort of sometimes lose to them, we had a two-one, didn't we? Um, was that the was that fifteen sixteen? Yeah, oh, 15-16, we won when Mourinho got sent to the stands. Yeah, we, yeah. We and did. Andy Carroll scored the winner from a yeah, pipe, yeah. of course, a Payet cross, where he effectively leapt over or across yes. John Terry and whomever else was playing alongside him yeah, yeah. Um, and terrorised the pair of them. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, headed into the net. But, um, you know, 
It'd be very interesting with Arsenal coming up in two games time because they really are a bogey team for us. They're the teams that we just, you know, that that uh, away at the Emirates in the last game we went to before lockdown, we lost that one nil. We we're all over them for the whole match, but it was just this, you know, uh, this playing the reputation rather than the team. It just but it's with Arsenal. Like it was care. the same the year before when we got turned over three one. Yes, it I was. Remember it coming was. out of yeah. the coming out of out of their stadium thinking. We lost a habit. I'm yeah. sure the score was actually the other way around. Yeah. I'm sure we must have won that 3-1. How on earth did we lose that game 3-1? And I think um, it's that season. Anartic scored a great goal to open it. Yeah. And we were all over them. Yeah. Uh, same in that, you know, I think it's the same season that we went to that game in the Carabao Cup at the Emirates Gym, where we, basically both teams put out, you know, sort of second string. <laughs> oh, that was horrible. And our second string squad wanted it less than their second string. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, we lost yeah. that 1-0 and it was just like, you could have just decided it on the toss of a coin. Neither team seemed to want it. Neither team seemed to have the technical ability. No. And they just, we just let them score a goal and went, oh, oh okay, well, you win it then. And, and yeah, they're a bogey team for us. And sort of Man U, we've, you know, Jim, you and I have been up in the in two sets of uh, the opening fixtures of the season, um, yeah, Billich's, uh Oh, the four 0 Yeah, that was horrible. We just—it's it, as if he'd forgotten to tell them when the season started. Uh, it was extraordinary, four 0 And I think didn't we in the Pellegrini first season because we lost about four of those in a row, didn't we? Before we started to actually play quite well. And well, I think we one did. Of those was, we did. We look in the Pellegrini season, his first season. Um, we got smashed at Man City, didn't we? Away, yeah. And then we got smashed at Man City at home. First game the following season, yeah. I but in his I first think... season, we lost. You're right. We lost four. No, four in a row on the spin, and then we won at Goodison or something. Yeah, yeah, Goodison. Mm. Yeah, Goodison with Yarmolenko. Mm. Yeah, Yarmolenko's two goals. Yeah, that really turned a corner. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, yeah. Well, before we get on to sort of predicting, perhaps not just the next one, next game, but the next run of games, uh, the news was announced today that Mark Noble has uh, set a date for his exit from uh, the world of football. Uh, he's going to play one more season uh, for us, uh, obviously, and then uh, hang his boots up. And uh, you know, I mean, we—it's probably a, it's a good. Probably a very good way to go about things is uh, sort of set your last season so that everyone knows what's happening. I think he probably knows he won't get much game time next season, come off the bench, cup games, you know, uh, last hurrah, stays within the infrastructure for his final season, possibly, you know, to coach the kids or something, uh, stay in the, the sort of frab- fabric of the club. What did you think? Um, yeah, I agree. I, th- I think uh, it seems a, a sort of sensible way of, 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 of handling it, really. Um, um, I, I'm not quite sure whether it was sort of kind of necessary to, to, to publicise that as well. But, you know, um, I suppose there were some questions about whether or not he was going to get, you know, a contract. And it feels the right the right balance, that, that he's not someone you want you, you want to... He's a great ambassador for the club, and you, you want to see him go out with with kind of respect and dignity, and not and not you know in a kind of sad way. Um, and it makes sense, I think, to keep him around the club, um, you know, rather than sort of go off for a, you know see him sort of 
end up playing you know in the championship for someone to stoke or something like that i think it's uh i think it's a good thing and i agree i mean i, I hope they do find some kind of some kind of role for him um going forward because you know he, he absolutely you know breathes the club doesn't he, he bleeds claren blue so well not, I, you know good luck to him I, really i share the view that mark noble should be kept within the fabric of the club um, whether it was necessary, however, to give him a full playing contract for another 12 months, I'm not sure about. Because for the life of me, um, and I'm, I'm not decrying Mark Noble at all, um, when, when is it actually envisaged he's going to play? For what, what, what playing purpose does it serve? It serves a huge purpose in terms of ensuring that um, the the players who are present continue in that sort of West Ham way or understand what the philosophy is of the club and the standing of the club and a bit about the East End and all of that old nonsense. For a modern-day football, a lot of which is nonsense. But I don't see when and where he's going to play. And if I put it like this, if... On Saturday, after if on a weekend or whatever, our next game, God forbid, Rice or Socek went off injured, I would have hoped, quite truthfully, someone instead of Nobs would be coming on because he's got no legs anymore. Bless him, he was never blessed with great pace. He he, he looks so leggy. He slows the play down now ridiculously. Ridiculously, um, the turnaround, I think after um, restart in the game against Chelsea. It wasn't a coincidence that that was the first game in restart where Noble didn't feature and Moyes went with Rice and Sauchek and suddenly the ball was moving through the midfield. Mm-hmm. Um, so all I'm saying is, yeah, I absolutely believe he should stay within the club. I don't think he would drop down a division to play football. After all, it's not as if he needs to. And no. when footballers used to do that, there was a reason why, usually financial. I cannot envisage in a thousand years that, that he is not set for life, nor his children, nor his prospective grandchildren. Yeah, yeah. So he doesn't need to do it for financial reasons. Um, is he likely to go to a much lesser club just to play a bit of football? His West Ham through and through. I've always said this about Mark Noble. If Mark Noble had to write out on a form what his occupation is, I don't think he would write down footballer. I think he'd write down, I play for West Ham. Yeah. And it's not necessarily the same thing. Um, but I think that's where his heart lies. And maybe they could have carved out a different role. I just don't see what he's going to bring to the, um, the the playing squad on a on a on a match basis. I really don't. And yes, I would I mean, I very much sense. hope yeah. that in the window, we will go out there and we will find someone who you are now thinking could actually step in for Selchek and or Rice in the event, God forbid, of an injury or a loss of form or whatever it might be, or to shore up again, who's younger and leggier and stronger and fitter. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, we we, we definitely, um, you know, a target, whether we had Mark Noble at the club or not, a target in the next transfer window has to be a player that almost, um, almost underlines 
the dispensability of Mark Noble at that time. Mm. You know, um, you know I, I think in a sense you could probably, if if one of uh, Rice or Suchet got injured, um, move four hours to that position rather than Noble because Noble isn't quick enough. You know, uh, I argue. I mean, if we do get European football, and and we have to say there's a distinct possibility. Uh, it possibly won't, but you know, there's a distinct possibility. Um, well, I, I'd argue we probably need two. We probably need yeah, two yeah, right, you know, because because you know, playing twice a week, you need a squad. Yeah, we need a and, full complement of strikers. They need to be first team players. They you can't you can't sort of look at Europe or or, or probably vice versa and sort of say well, well we'll put out our sort of League Cup squad for that game because you'll end up going down. You know, I mean, you you have to have. Uh, first team level players, uh, you know, two you, of them in every position, don't you? But are you well, saying this, him that one of those would be Mark Noble? No, no, no. Uh, I'm agreeing with Simon in that respect. In all new, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's simply my point. But it takes us on to, and, and what I was talking about earlier, that I think that wherever we finish this season, whether we somehow by magic made the top four. Um, or even if we ended up in in the Europa, there are going to be huge repercussions, um, not just in question of buying quality, but you need some quantity as well. Because um, we all know that the Europa is a shocking tournament unless you actually win it. Um, and there are catalogue of British clubs in particular because we it's... It's not fair comparing what they do in Spain and they do in Italy because the top half dozen clubs in Italy will win every game against those that, uh, the, those who are beneath them in the league because it's not competitive like yeah. it is here. And, you know, it's telling for all of those clubs who have been in it, Leicester, Wolves, whomever, whatever, go back the years. I mean, Tottenham, for example, it's OK for them because they're actually equipped to win the bloody thing. And to make the Champions League, God forbid, um, this season is on the back of it. Um, but they're actually equipped to win that tournament because they have the strength in depth. If we got there and um, by finishing sixth or seventh, there's going to have to be a serious expansion to our first team squad yeah. to ensure that when we're playing Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, the guys that turn up on Sunday... Um, have some puff because we we don't want to be left struggling mid-season out of the Europa League and then looking for form to pick up to motor through. Yeah. So that's one side of it. And the other, as I say, I think is absolutely pivotal that if we're going to build on what we've got right here and right now, um, we have to, the, the way we do that is you have to let the guys who are now the fulcrum or the nucleus of that team. And we do have a spine, um, incredibly, whether yeah. he, you know, uh, even Ogbonna, he might be older, but centre-backs normally last a bit longer. And I think he is, for me, he is the preeminent centre-back, notwithstanding how well Dawson has done. I think That's he's the preeminent centre-back. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, the midfield two are, well, simply outstanding. And I agree with Jamie Carragher. They are the best double pivot in the Premier League and Antonio on top. And the way you keep not just them happy is 
But the, the, the whole esprit de corps at the level it is, is you have to bring in quality. Yeah. And so the, you, you furnish the belief that look at us all boys next season, we're going to, we're going to win something. When we start, there's a belief we're going to win something, not a hope, not some, you know, pipe dream. Not like when I was a kid and you used to get those, you'll remember, Jim, sorry to say, when, when, when you get those little tables, remember, in the, in the football magazines, yeah. with the little slats. Oh, and, I love those. Yeah, and yeah. the tabs you'd put in. And you'd yeah. look at it before the season started. Think, oh, if only, you know, West Ham... And it was just a dream because after two weeks, it was gone. It was over. You know, we'd lost a home to Luton or something like that. And we got beat at Everton. And you look at it and they were down the bottom. And that was it. Fuck for the rest of the season. Mm. Um, but that can't happen anymore. But we need numbers. We've been very fortunate in this respect so far this season. We have a paper thin squad. Let's not kid ourselves. Um, you know, Rice played every single minute of every Premier League game. Suchek played every single minute of every Premier League game, except for the two minutes when he got wrongly sent off the other week. Yeah. Well, and he um, played in a couple of Carabao Cup games as well. I think Rice... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dufal has played, I think, every minute of every game since he's been yeah. signed. Yeah. Um, you know, every time Antonio goes on a run, if he doesn't, if something wonderful doesn't come of it, your next inclination is, "Oh crikey, I hope he's all right." Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We can't. Uh, that that can't no, continue. You no, can't keep no. riding that sort of luck. Absolutely not. Yeah. No. Um, and 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 the truth is, if Antonio or one of those guys got injured for the rest of the season, we all know we can pack up and forget it because it's just not going to happen. No. I think that's probably. I mean, that's been the fear all along, isn't it? In many, in many ways. I mean, I think we've managed without Antonio, just about. But, but uh, I think it's the two in the, the central pivot in midfield has. It, it, that's why we're where we are. You know, there have been some good performances and good players around them, but that has is what has transformed uh, West Ham. You know, those two guys playing together, they're they're, they're brilliant. Well, um, you say uh, we managed without Antonio for a bit, but I just think in the last couple of weeks, the difference he's made. The goal he scored at Man, oh, at Man City. I'm not, yeah, I'm the not. goal he scored at Tottenham, you know, that no, I don't think anyone else in that team would have scored that goal. Um, whoever you would have brought in, because the physicality to get across Sanchez and say, you basically bowled him over before he ran the ball back in the net off the keeper. Um, no one else can perform that sort of task. And we'd have to change the whole balance of play. Um, I agree, you know, Salchek and, and Rice are simply uh, on a different level. Yeah. But yeah. We, we can't carry on like this because it's going no, to go, no, no, no. no, go peaked totally, on. Totally. And, and Moyes must have known, you know, in not replacing Haller that, that um, he was taking a big risk, really. Um, uh, I agree with you. And what you say, absolutely, what you say about the Europa League, I, I, I completely agree with that because... It is a poison chalice. Um, I think if we get Europa League, we are getting it. In terms of kind of the Moyes project, uh, it's slightly premature in a way. I don't mm. think even yeah. in one window we can oh. build. Uh, it's not just about numbers, as you say. It's about getting quality players in. And you're really only going to get one or two of those at a time. And you've got to evolve the squad. And I think... Uh, that's what Moyes all has been saying. He's 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 aiming to do. It's what he did at Everton. It's what you hope he's going to do. He's going to do here. And actually, you know, in 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 ironically, you know, doing well enough to get into the Europa League could 
um, you know, set that project back a bit, in fact. I agree. Whereas I think the Champions League is a different thing. I mean, the prestige that comes with that, the money that, you know, I mean, I think to me, I'd, I'd, at this stage, I'd almost probably say Champions League or eight. Nothing. I, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. I'm absolutely with you, Jim. I'm sorry for all of those who I know would be screaming at me saying, oh, we want to go on a European tour. I'm sorry. There's European tours where your places of destination are Madrid, yeah. Turin, Rome, um, <laughs> Barcelona. And there are those European tours where your cities of destination, um, Chern- Chernobyl, not those places. Let's put it like that. <laughs> and they're a bloody long way away, and they ain't too friendly. Minsk, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Chernobyl, Minsk. Uh, yep. Basically, Odessa. they're all they're all wombles, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're wandering free in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and I mean, yeah, I, I, I think probably the Europa League, the European, uh, the, the the financial rewards for playing in the Europa League are nothing like playing in the Champions League. So no. you won't have that, uh, you know, um, onus on the the own, the owners of the club to speculate to accumulate. They'll go, well, there's nothing to accumulate, so we won't speculate. And you could see them just not strengthening and just going, well. It's a bit of a crapshoot, the Europa League. But the trouble is, it's a crapshoot that wears you out for your Sunday game. You know, you've still well, got to I have it on the very best of authority that when we were in those qualifying games a couple of seasons ago, mm. after the after um, the Pyatt season, when um, yeah. at board level um, and at managerial level, uh, they were actually delighted that we blew it and we went out at the qualifying stages yeah, because yeah. they could see the horror that was awaiting on Thursday and Thursday night football yeah, on yeah. Channel 5 or whatever it might be, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. or Channel 4, um, for, which cost the club more money than it actually generates. Um, and then you've got all the player acquisitions and, and squad strengthening that you need to be able to compete or to save your first team um, to be able to perform properly on a Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the problem with it. So, yeah, but we do, you know, we, uh, regardless of whether we get into any European football tournaments, we do, we definitely need to strengthen sort of over the summer. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, we are buying people that will displace Mark Noble. I mean, I think there's an element of sentiment to what's happened because, you know, this would have been quite a triumphant final season for Mark Noble to take part in. But, of course, there's no supporters at the ground. And it's I think it feels like... You know, he sort of liked to say goodbye to the fans in person, and probably there's a feeling, you know, a, a sentimental feeling within the um, the the ownership of the club that it would be good for Mark Noble to be a kind of presence in front of the fans in one final season at the club. And I sort of think that's okay. I do think he's sort of not going to get a lot of game time, but you know, well, we'll see. Put it like this, um, you know, it's all credit to him and what he's played more um matches than Vic Watson and and, and Jimmy Ruffin, hasn't he? Mm. Um I think total matches. And it's only what I call the, the the gods that who sit above him in in the West Ham Pantheon of of Bill and Trev and Morrow yeah. and Frank Senior and Alvin, I think that are actually above him now. Yes, but they are yeah. quite somewhere above him. But of course as footballers no respect, no disrespect to Nobes, meaning there's a lot of disrespect to Nobes. He ain't in the same quality 
of, of any of those boys. Uh, but, you know, you've got to take your hat off. I mean, what a dream. Um, you play for your boyhood club your entire professional career. You play more than 500 games. Of course, it's worked for him because let's be honest about it. Although he got a, he's got, he's had his fair amount of critics from the terraces. If he weren't Mark Noble from Canning Town, he would have been lynched in a lot of those games. It's actually really worked for him, that whole one of our own philosophy. Yeah, yeah. It's really spared him, I think, from the gravest vitriol, um, which some of his performances deserve. But he's always played for the shirt. It's a dream for him. And I think it's what a, what a wonderful thing to do to play for your boyhood club um, your entire professional career. Um, and for that, bad teams. He's played, you know, he's had his fair share of bad teams. And when the team's good, he is good. We, he was great in the Pirates season. Very good he was absolutely Pirates fantastic. Season. Very good in, you know, very good in um, uh, the Pellegrini 10th place finish. Yep. Good in the Zola season, ninth place finish. Um, very good in the, you know, promotion from the championship. He was really good in that season. You know, I think, I think the outstanding performances outweigh the, 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 ones that you're describing. I mean, I, I I think I think he's. I've always felt he's a better footballer, and a lot of people give him credit for. Um, I think uh, his career was set back somewhat by uh, Kirbishly, um, who um, at the time sort of said, no, "You can't be an attacking midfielder. You've got to be." You know, he came into the side as an attacking midfielder, goal scoring midfielder, um, and uh, I, you know, I think Kirbishly's. Uh, everyone has had a personal. I think he uh, was an appalling manager uh, for West Ham, yeah. um, and I think it set him back. Um, I, I, we've time and again we've come away from games, even games where you know as a team we've not played particularly well, or, or we're not saying you know how well Noble has played, or well, Noble was immense in that game, or he was everywhere, and you know put well, the, um, one nil um, win in Spurs' new stadium uh, with Antonio's goal from the on um, yeah. Uh, my Spurs supporting friend said he was the best player on the pitch. And he was. For the whole game. And he was. For, look, I, I'm not going to disagree with any of this. I just don't think he did it regularly enough. However, I, I've got, like everyone has, particular um, fond memories. Um, I was fortunate enough to be sat um, right at right in the direction of that wonderful goal he scored um, up at Leicester a few seasons ago, which effectively... Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. secured our survival. Um, yes. And as the ball arrowed into that corner, I was sitting right in line with it. And I could, you could just, it was fantastic. You could see the, the bend on it. Um, it was coming right at you. It was, it was great. And I thought that was a marvellous goal. And some of his penalties have been brilliant in real high pressure situations. Oh, but, you know, for all of that, it's the emotion that Nobes brought with it. Yeah. And I think of the tears when we survived at Old Trafford in the 06-07 season, um, you know, when he basically broke down. In the same season, the tears when we got beaten at home by Spurs and everyone thought as a result of that game we were doomed and it was over. And he cried then. He cried tears of joy when we won at Old Trafford. And, of course, on the final night um, at Upton Park, when he walked onto that um, rostrum in the middle of, of the pitch... Yeah. 
and all the crowd started singing Too Good for England. He absolutely welled up and it was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And I think those moments often are more important in your mind in, and in your memory than some of the things you actually do um, yeah. on the field. It's, yeah, yeah. it's the emotion. And, and, I, and I can think, I can see him now you know, absolutely welling up when, you know, had 36,000 people screaming too good for England. He didn't know what to do. He just yeah. he was choked. And it was lovely. It was a really nice speech you gave at that, that, that thing, you know, the club, it's not a club, it's a family, that sort of, you know, obviously they're, they're sort of, they're, they're quite common, common sort of platitudes, but it was a still, he said the right things. Those are the right things to say. Yeah. He also said, we're no longer a pub team. And um, within yeah. about three months, yeah. the board no completely disproved yeah. that. Yeah, we're not yeah. run like a circus anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that was on his script. I mean, he was told to say that. <laughs> but um, I think he well, comes across well, in interviews as a very decent, very decent, very you know passionate about his football, but but yeah, a good is. man to be honest. A bit of a throwback in some respects. He's not, you know, he doesn't belong to the. He's played in the same generation, but he doesn't belong to the generation of kind of badge kissing mercenaries, um, and. Uh, I think I think it you know he embodies in spite of all the change that's gone on and all the kind of nonsense and shenanigans and vitriol that's been shed he's he embodies a kind of core of what as a as a family we we believe the club is about actually um some values that we we as fans share and um you know I think it's great I think it's great that he's being kept on and and that he'll kind of finish his days in a in pre presumably celebratory fashion, you know, at a one hopes packed London stadium. Yeah. yeah. We'll talk about the Manchester United game in a minute. Uh, I just, uh, a quick recommendation for the Clive, uh, Clyde Best's autobiography, which I've just yeah. really enjoyed. And yeah, uh, talking about some of those, you know, some of the immortals of the club. I mean, obviously the book is packed with those because he arrives in 68 and sort of leaves roughly 74, 75. So it is essentially full of those, uh, you know. Is that 74, 75 stone when he left? <laughs> yes, I think so. yes, yes. Um, it was a big unit. Well, it was that season, wasn't it? He his first after his first. He was very good in his first season or second season, and then he went back to Bermuda for the summer, and he came back with about four stone heavier, and he could never bless him shift it. No, um, no. but what a wonderful character, and at a very difficult time, obviously, um, and was one of the original three degrees. Um, I, and I, it so annoys me. No, I've, you've heard me speak about this yeah. before. I get so angry that West Brom can do this whole shtick when yeah. we got there five years earlier on the 1st of April, 1972. Thank you yeah. very much. Right, and so of course, we beat Spurs 2-0 in the process with Trevor scoring a worldie and Addy Coker rolling in the, in the second in the last minute. And, and Clyde was central to all of that. And he took terrible abuse. I'm yeah. ashamed to say from... Home fans as well. Yeah. Let's not be coy about it. Um, he took some terrible abuse from those at home. And I find it really ironic that nowadays when they put his picture up, you know, or, or his photograph up in the stadium and you've got 60,000 people, all, you know, clapping or whatever, he comes on the pitch and does an appearance, a PA. I think I look at down there and think, you know what, son of you assholes, um, your parents or your grandparents used to abuse that bloke. Yeah. And, and and now probably their, their children or their grandchildren are probably in a relationship with someone of colour. Yeah, it, 
they used to give that fella absolute yeah. monster abuse. Yeah, the and he's come out of it the other side and still looks back fondly of his days at West Ham. I think he's tremendous testament to a real proper character. And a, a it was a funny, you know, bringing things round to, uh, you know, what's the West Ham team supposed to be like? Uh, you know, he's playing in a, sort of a team with, um, you know, Ferguson or Day and... Um, more and uh, uh, he played alongside yeah. Hursty, Trevor. That team yeah. often ends up 14th in one of those seasons. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, uh, that, that's sort of you know, that's a typical West Ham way. You're looking at those teams like, like you know, like the, the equivalent of the team that got relegated uh, in 2003 with with you know, Decanio, Sinclair, Cole, Carrick, Canute, Johnson, uh, in it. That that team didn't get relegated, but finished, you know, like would finish 18th in a 22-team division with all those players in it. Redknapp, Moore, Pop Robson, you know, probably sold Peters by that time. But, I mean, he certainly played with Peters in that team. And there were some quite lowly league finishes during that period. Yeah, because that team suffered in the 60s. They suffered from the problem that it was only when they played proper sides, as they saw it, that they actually got themselves in the right frame of mind. They simply couldn't be asked for the vast majority of matches. But when they played, you look at the record of that side um, against the big boys, it was quite extraordinary. There's a fantastic story um, that's told of Bill Shankly at Liverpool in the 60s, where before the game in the the home dressing room, he'd have like a little Sabutio table uh, and set out the tactics of the players. And um, he was running through you know, how Liverpool were going to beat West Ham at Anfield. And he was basically saying, they're all rubbish, they're all Southern softies, you know, they all want to go on the piss and they're, they're too frightened to be up here and it's too cold. You'll steamroll them. And um, allegedly, Ian St. John shouted out, hold on a minute, Gaffer. Um, you're sort of forgetting more Hurst than Peters. At which point, Shankly went over to the Spurio players, threw eight of them on the floor and said, what, you can't beat three men? Um and that was part of the problem for the team in the 60s. The problem for the team in, in 2002-2003 that got relegated was among the glittering array of ball players, we didn't have any centre-backs. No, um, that's right, yeah, yeah. That was the key problem there. Yeah, and yeah. which brings me on neatly to, obviously, the death of Glenn Roder, um, who was very much responsible, tragically, for that demise. Um, but... And I think um, probably was spared a lot of vitriol um, because, of course, tragically, then he he suffered from a, a, a brain tumour. Yes, he didn't. Um, he didn't and have... I think it sort of got forgotten. But he his problem was was simply Paolo Di Canio, and a lot of people forget Di Canio didn't play for six for half of that season. Yeah. that's because Rhoda didn't want to play him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paolo was fit as a fiddle. And, of course, came back when Trevor took over. And the last three matches, we won two and drew one. But I will say this about Glenn Rhoda, because I was representing Di Canio at the time, and it was really awkward between them. Yeah. Terrible ill-feeling. Di Canio used to speak about Glenn Rhoda like it was the excrement on the bottom of his shoe. I kid you not. Um, And it was very, very awkward. Uh. A couple of years later, I, had, I was doing some football business when Glenn Roder was at Norwich. 
and we had to have a conversation about certain things. And I walked up to him and, and I said, look, you've got to understand, Glenn, before we go any further, I'm, I'm not apologising because I actually think Paolo was right. But is my client, what do you want? You know, I, I've got to represent my client's interest. And what he said was what he said. And he put out his hand, he shook hands and said, water under the bridge, let's do business. And I thought, what a gent. What a decent, decent fella. And he was. And all of the obits that have come out in the last few weeks have all been to the same effect. He's an absolute, thoroughly decent gentleman. And I thought it was quite telling um, when they did the minutes applause last night that Stuart Pierce had his head very deep. buried very deep into his chest because obviously they were together at Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. And very decent man, Glenn Roder. For all his failings as a manager, um, very uh, West Ham, certainly, very decent bloke. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we've got Manchester United on Sunday, haven't we? Um, yes. You no, know, this is a little run of games. We've got The following week, we've got Arsenal, who, you know, on current form, we should dispatch fairly easily, as easily as we dispatch Leeds. But they're Arsenal. And I think we, you know, for some reason, we... You know, hopefully we might have uh, exorcised that hoodoo uh, against Arsenal. But Manchester United are a good side and uh, they're going well at the moment, obviously. They're second place in the division. Um, so what do we what do we think? There's probably only time for... It's been quite a long one this week, so there's probably only time for sort of predictions and a brief sentence or two. Jim? Uh, I'm amazed, Man United. Having watched a lot of their games, I'm amazed they are where they are. Um, they do have attacking talent, um, but I just feel, you know, I just feel we can do them. We we go we go there uh, positive. We're going to be payback for the uh, for the travesty of the game at London Stadium. Um, we're going to win two one. Two one. Simon, what do you reckon? My head says we're going to lose three one. My heart says we're going to win two nil. Two nil. Excellent. Um, yes. Okay, well, I'm going to I'm going to take that three one then. I'm going to take that three one off your hands and say we'll win three one. Um, you know, a couple of their players around both Martial and Rashford are sort of out of sorts at the moment, aren't they? It's sort of I mean, I think uh, well, Martial was good against City. I thought he was terrific, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, he said Rashford was old. not so good, but um, yeah. You know, when he's good, he's very good, but he does kind of, uh, you know, he does disappear for games sometimes. The problem is, of course, we have to play without Jesse Lingard. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, that's a shame, isn't it? Um, Can't play against his parent club. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, 2-1, 2-0 and 3-1. All very optimistic. (laughs) We're all mad! Why not? (laughs) We've all been on the booze again. (laughs) This is a drunken stop hammer time this week. <laughs> my name has been Phil Whelans. With me have been Jim Grant. Cheerio. And Simon Pentel. Ta-da, lovely to be back. Come on, you irons. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at westhampodcast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.